What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. Brennan and Dama back on the show, and today we have a special guest, Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington, making his second appearance on the podcast. Chase, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me back on. Glad we could do it. I know we've been talking for weeks about this. Yeah, definitely glad that we could finally get you back on. Uh, so we're going to do a few different things today. First, we're going to talk about the the Westbrook trade and get into more of uh, just recapping a little bit of the draft and the moves that we made. And then uh, the bulk of this today, we're actually going to spend doing a little bit of an Eastern Conference preview. But um, Chase, just quickly going back to the the Westbrook trade, uh, how out of left field did this come for you personally? Was there any indication before it happened that you knew um you know from insider information that yeah maybe this was something that was gonna go down I mean did it smack you in the face like it did the rest of us or I mean how just the whole rust trade in general how how was it for you well it was pretty surprising but I did get a few uh sort of indications that something was up um that made it a little bit less surprising there was some stuff that was uh very sort of undefined, like uh, the clues that uh, fans had seen about, you know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis uh, following Russell Westbrook and his wife and members of his family on Instagram. I got asked about that on the radio. I didn't think much of it. Uh, but then leading up to the draft, you know, when reports first emerged that Bradley Beal uh, was mulling his future, when I checked in, I heard from, you know, people close to him and, and also other agents um, I had heard that kind of Russell Westbrook wanted out and that he was he was going to be out. And that was kind of something that Bradley Beal was reacting to and other players and other agents um, that are tied to the organization were reacting to. So I think it was um, sort of known behind the scenes. Um, it wasn't reported as widely as a lot of these trades are. Um, but when it ended up happening, you know, you were I was able to sort of in retrospect piece some things together and understand that okay this is this is a thing that happened and and it's pretty clear now that Russell Westbrook requested a trade from the Wizards and I think as you can see by the comments that Ted Leonsis made to ESPN that it took them by surprise and I think it altered their offseason plans quite a bit yeah I think that I think I can speak for me and Dama when we say that we're pretty glad that he's no longer on the roster and it's not necessarily <laughs> against Russ, again, we, we have no personal issue with him. We uh, don't particularly enjoy his his on-court style, especially when you consider the type of pieces that we have. We have young guys that we have to develop. It's not like we had a, a bunch of um, Wayne Ellington, Rodney Hood um, type players on the roster where you can get away with just having them stand there. You know, you have young players that we have to develop. And I think that was a constant issue amongst Wizards fans with the whole idea of Westbrook, because it was basically just a, a two guard system, pound, 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 shoot, and everyone else just kind of stand around. And especially for young players and especially two top 10 picks, that's not something that's going to be good long-term and we can see it obviously even wasn't that great short-term obviously getting to the playoffs after such a horrendous start was awesome and it was good to see and I would say that Westbrook was the main reason behind that 17 and 6 run at the end there but still I just don't think overall it led to uh, that great basketball to be honest with you I mean Damo do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I would have to agree. I mean, I, you know, Russ, Russ, a great guy, great person, um, great leader, and his work ethic is unmatched. But, you know, I think there are legit, legitimate concerns about, you know, his style of play and and how does that fit in this in this modern era of basketball, and in particular with the Wizards, like you were saying, uh, with it, with you know, the two top ten picks, and then you add another fifteenth overall pick. Uh, how does that development come if you're if the ball is sticking in two guys' hands most of the time? Um, and just just listening to Tommy and listening to Wes talk about how they want the team to look and play and function, it just never to me like it's surprising to me, Chase, that that their offseason plan was to move forward with Russ and Beal again. Um, because just listening to Tommy and then listening to to 
West talk, it just didn't seem like Russ fit into that style. So I, it was kind of to me like, okay, well, are they planning on doing something different with how they deploy Russell Westbrook or is Russell Westbrook going to move? Um, but but like you said, there was no real like tea leaves out in the public about it uh, other than like the, the Instagram stuff. But, you know, how serious can you take that? But uh, yeah, I think I think the move that they ended up making was I think it's beneficial to both parties, Russ and to the Wizards. Um, so I'm I'm happy about it. Um, Chase, what did you think about the, the new guys press conferences? Oh, um, I think that, um, it, it kind of dawned on me just talking to all of them, um, how they got some guys who are pretty accomplished in their career, uh, but are still pretty young and might present some upside. Um, you know, Montrez Harrell's only 27, Kyle Kuzma's 26, um, I, I think the oldest player on their roster at this point is, is 28, uh, guys like Spencer Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal. And it's just interesting because they have um, proven veterans that they can plug right into their rotation, and you kind of know the value they're going to bring. Um, they're all good players, but they're also young enough to where uh, if you just look at the trajectory of most NBA players, they might not have reached their prime yet. Um, and I think there was a lot of motivation that you could kind of detect from from guys because now that they're getting – um, an opportunity with a team that isn't uh, on doesn't have the same expectations and the same depth is the Lakers, certainly not with the stars at the top. They see an opportunity to uh, continue to grow as basketball players because they'll probably play more minutes and maybe get more shots. Um, you know, I, I certainly gleaned that from Montrez Harrell, who has improved a ton through his six years in the league after being a second round pick. Um, but he wants to be an all star and you know, two years ago, he wasn't that far away from being an all-star. He averaged almost 19 points a game, seven rebounds, shot efficiently, um, averaged a block a game. Um, obviously, defense hasn't hasn't long been considered his strength, but um, I just think that the Wizards have a, a nice collection of players who, between between them, you know, maybe one of them or, or one or two of them can take their game to another level, and, and um, it kind of goes back to some of the other trades that, that Tommy Shepard's made. You know, tr trading for Daniel Gafford and Davis Bertans, I think those showed you that uh, a player, if, if in, in signing Howell Neto, I think you could include him in this. Sometimes a different situation can bring out a different side of a player, and, and you can really find untapped potential that way. And I, I think there's a chance that they find that with some of these guys that they traded for. Yeah, I'm actually very glad that Neto was back out of the four uh, unrestricted free agents that we had. I think Damo would agree with me on this as well, that Neto was the guy that we probably wanted to see back out of that group, uh, especially when you talk about defensively and what Wes Unsell Jr. wants to bring to the table and how he wants to have his players play and that sort of thing. So definitely glad for that. Uh, in terms of the roster overall, I so the – the thing right now is we have a deep roster, right? We have a ton of players specifically on the wing, but speculation now is that maybe Tommy isn't done this offseason in terms of trades and bringing other guys in. Is that something you think that we could or we should expect, or do you think that that's just purely speculation and they're just going to roll into the roster with the team that they have? I guess right now is that they'll roll into the, the season with the roster that they have, um, but I think they should keep looking. Now they've got in Bradley Beal, a upper echelon NBA star, and he's probably a top 10 to 15 player in the NBA. I don't, I don't think anyone would list him lower than 20th. I mean, he was all NBA, so that, that by that measure, he's top 15. Um, and then you've got a lot of depth, but um, in the Eastern Conference, how far is that going to get you? I, I would question it, because at the end of uh, that series against the Sixers, when they lost in five games, Tommy Shepard made it seem like they were pretty far away. And I think all of us who watched that series – recognize that there was a pretty big gap between them and the Sixers. And the Sixers aren't even the best team in the East. I mean, they, they lost in the second round. You're going to have to deal with Brooklyn, uh, Philly, who had the top seed, but but obviously didn't go on a deep playoff run. Um, the Bucks. I think those three teams stand out in a top tier, and there's still a pretty sizable gap between where the Wizards are and those teams. You know, it's just one measure. Um, it's not gospel, but... Um, sports books aren't very high on the Wizards right now. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw, but um, we work with a sports book called Points Bet, and they lowered the Wizards' win total by two wins after free agency and the trades. It was the second biggest drop in the NBA. 
Um, so I think um, it's probably a safe guess right now that they'll be in the playoff mix. But if they really want to build a, a contender and they want, and if Bradley Beal really wants to play for a contender, then I think they're at least another big trade away from getting there. Um, so I think they should consider the, their options. Um, but I, I, at this point, would guess, given they've already done all the introductory press conferences and it seems like they're kind of changing philosophies to focus more on depth uh, rather than the, the two-star approach, I guess would be that um, they're not maybe done, but this is what the roster is mostly going to look like going into next year. Yeah, and I understand that actually when you look at the Eastern Conference because did the Sixers get any worse? No. Did the Bucks get any worse? No. Uh, the Knicks didn't get worse. If anything, they got a little bit better. Uh, did the Hawks get any worse? No. You know, going down the line, the Heat got better, probably. So I still have the Wizards probably as more of a play-in team right now, that sort of thing. I don't even know if I'd have them as like a an eight or a nine seed. I think probably based on the roster they have now is that they're probably around that 10, 11, 12 range. But you can look at this a few different ways. You could say, well, Russell's really toxic for the rest of the guys. And now that we have um, guys that are presumably going to be able to show their talent, maybe we won't even, I mean, they could be better, but I think the, the biggest chunk of that, when you consider this conversation is the Eastern conference got a little bit better too. So, um, I mean, Dama, what did you think about the, the moves that were made in the Eastern conference in terms of free agency trades and all that? Yeah, I think uh, I think for the first time in a in a couple decades, like I think the East is deeper than the West now. Um, I think there are legitimately twelve teams in the East that could fight for a playoff spot, um, and I haven't seen that in a while. Like that, not in the Eastern Conference. Usually, it's like you know five teams, and then the rest are kind of just you know decent. Um, but yeah, I think it's like outside of maybe outside of Orlando, uh, Detroit and Cleveland. I mean, I could see any of the teams in the East in a play in or, or higher. Um, I think the Wizards, I think that you, you got the elite three and, and that three might not be three, depending on what happens with Ben Simmons. So, I mean, definitely the Nets are, I think, are the class of the East. Because I mean, they just have three of the best scores to to ever pick up a basketball. Um, so the Nets, and then of course the Bucks, defending champions. And then depending on what happens with Ben Simmons, Philly may or may not take a step back. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, but that seems to be a very uh, interesting situation over there um, with with Ben's recent comments and and not answering the phone. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then you have, uh, and then the Miami Heat, they, I mean, they, they've dug in. I know they wanted the big fish, Giannis. Um, and then of course they were poking around on Beal, but now they've kind of just, I think they've given up on that. And they, they've really locked into Jimmy Butler, Lowry, uh, and, and, uh, bam. And they're trying to go all in with that. Uh, I guess we'll see if it, if it works out. So I will have them as the top four. And then I honestly think, Five on down. I mean, you could put any team in that spot from that point to me. I mean, I know last year, like it was like seven different teams that had the number four seed in the East from February on out. Um, I think you could see a similar situation this year with the Wizards being in that mix where you're going to have, you know, seven, eight teams interchanging out of that fifth spot. Um, And so it's just a matter of, I think, who defends the best and who, you know, gets hot at the right time scheduling wise. So um, we'll see, but I, I, I like all the moves. I think most of the teams in the East got better, including the wizards. So uh, it, sh- it should be a fun year uh, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Chase, what do you think about the East? Um, it's definitely gotten better. I think it's uh, probably going to be as deep, especially at the bottom uh, than it's been, or the bottom of the playoff picture than it's been in a long time. I, I don't know if it's going to overtake the West. You know, the West has really been the dominant conference since Michael Jordan retired from the Bulls the second time um, since the late 90s. And, you know, the the teams at the bottom of the playoff picture in the East are, they have a chance to get better, like Boston, obviously, uh, Miami, 
Um, Indiana just two years ago played at a, about a 50-win pace, and, and now they've got Rick Carlisle. Uh, you got LaMelo Ball, who should make the Hornets better. Um, but, you know, at the bottom of the playoff picture for the, the West, um, you got the Warriors, with uh, who have a chance to be much better next year. And then you got John Moran and the Grizzlies, and the Lakers could be better. And, um, you know, Zion looks like he's one of the best young players in the NBA. They're going to be a factor. So um, it's probably more even than it's been in a while. And I think that's part of this, and I would have guessed that's part of why uh, the Wizards aren't being um, – Showing a ton of love and betting odds right now is because there are teams around them that got better, that made probably more improvements than they did. Um, Indiana getting Carlisle, that's a big deal. Uh, Chicago obviously had a very aggressive offseason. They might um, have more talent than the Wizards now. Um, the Knicks uh, are in Hawks and Heat are ahead, were ahead of them, and they might have gotten better. Um, you know, the Hawks did, haven't made really um, any big additions, but just retaining John Collins and all the young players that they have. DeAndre Hunter wasn't even really part of their playoff run. Um, he's a really good young player. So it's going to be tough. I, I think the Wizards have put themselves in a pretty good position in terms of uh, a roster building foundation. It really depends on what they do from here. Uh, you know, getting out from under a Supermax contract, none of us thought that they could do it. They've done that. They've got young players with upside. They've got a bunch of uh, tradable contracts. Um, but it, it's still, I think most people would agree, it still looks like they're a pretty big move or two away from becoming contenders. It just kind of depends on what they do with it and how risky they're willing to get. Because, um, you know, that's one thing about the Wizards. Uh, and you have to point out that, you know, Ted Leonsis is, is the owner. You know, he ultimately calls the shots and, and sets the plan. And, um, you know, sometimes things have to be run by your ownership group. And, and they liked kind of a methodical build through the draft, um, you know, sort of um, just a kind of a pragmatic approach to building a team. Um, you wonder at one point are they going to have to kind of push all the chips into the middle of the table and, and pull off a risky trade. Um, they have all the pieces to do that, but that's a, a step that um, that you have to be willing to take at some point. So I'm wondering when they're going to take it. Now, since we had just kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, what would your thoughts be on potentially trying to acquire Ben Simmons? I think it would make a lot of sense. Um, you know, with Dinwiddie... Uh, it wouldn't be a, a great fit. Those guys are, are both low-efficiency shooters. Um, but, you know, at this point, um, I, you know, if you wanted to trade Bradley Beal, um, I think that would probably be the move to make. Um, I have been against trading Bradley Beal um, every step of the way. Obviously, I've seen the merit and the argument from fans to just kind of trade Bradley Beal and blow it up. But now you kind of have the stage set for if you wanted to trade Bradley Beal, if you didn't want to pay him that contract where it's 50 plus million a year at least toward the end of it um, then maybe you trade him for Ben Simmons and then you would bring Ben Simmons into a roster that has uh, some pretty good defensive pieces has a lot more shooting than it used to have um, it's not a bad supporting cast for a guy like Ben Simmons who's still really young still presents a lot of upside and is already one of the best defensive players in the league I think if you did trade for Ben Simmons it would have to include Bradley Peel um, but now looking yeah. at the the complexion of their roster i think it would make some sense so if they wanted to go that route um, if they wanted to trade bradley beal philly is definitely the team that i'd give a call so you don't think that there's any way that they could acquire him given i mean all the stuff in the news about you know ben's just he just doesn't want to come back and his trade value is really low this and that i mean you don't think that there's a way that they could acquire him without uh giving up beal I sincerely doubt it because I think if Philadelphia trades Ben Simmons, which I would expect them to, um, I don't see why they wouldn't want a star, like a proven star in return. You've got uh, what we think looks like a championship window. I mean, they were the top seed in the Eastern Conference, and they have this window with Joel Embiid. Like, if you trade Ben Simmons for someone who's younger uh, than him and less accomplished, um, then it's going to take time to develop that player. If you trade him for draft picks, then... Um, you know, who knows when those guys are going to be ready. So I would guess that they would, and if you trade them for depth, they already have depth. You know, I, I would think that it has to be for another star. I would, I would have to think that, you know, Portland would make a lot of sense um, if you traded him for uh, Damian Lillard, not a one-for-one, one, but, you know, obviously some other pieces in that deal. But uh, Damian Lillard would go to Philly and with Joel Embiid would immediately form a title contender. Meanwhile, Ben Simmons could have his own franchise and a smaller market and, and have a fresh yeah. start. So, I would I would think that Philly's going to hold out, and if they do trade Ben Simmons, 
want someone uh, who's much more established in return um, than, you know, say a Denny Avdia, Rui Hachimura, and draft picks type package. Sure. Totally mm-hmm. understandable. Uh, getting back to the Eastern Conference real quick, where do you think the Wizards should be sort of placed? I know that Damo is saying that kind of the four seed on down is up for grabs, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I definitely still think the Wizards are going to be kind of in that play-in range. But again, I think this team is just so hard to to gauge because, again, you can look at it like, okay, well, you lost Russ, and you brought in a point guard who may be able to move the ball a little bit more, and the ball's going to spread around. So we'll see more Rui. We'll see more Denny. We'll see Kuzma. We'll see Kispert. We'll see all these different guys get it on the action. So they could be a lot better. And then we're expecting, but just, I I know it's tough to gauge, but where do you sort of have them placed right now um, in the East? I think in the play-in tournament, you know, that 7 to 10 range, uh, similar to what they were last year, obviously you would hope that it's a more consistent trajectory and not um, Mm -hmm. a situation where they go 15 games under 500 and then have to go on that miraculous run uh, to the finish line. Um, But I think their floor is higher than it was last year because they have more depth. Um, You know, the Wizards have had some really tough luck with injuries in recent years, um, and certainly they did last year, but the more depth that you have and the younger your roster is, the more likely you are to be able to overcome that um, and avoid injuries altogether. So I think their floor is pretty high. I I, I don't see them bottoming out um, and becoming, you know, the 14th or 15th best team in the conference and and being one of those bottom four or five teams in, in the lottery. Um, I, I think they'll make the playoffs. Um, I just wonder what their ceiling is at this point. I think their ceiling might be a little bit lower than it was last year. Um, a combination of going from two stars to one and then just the Eastern Conference getting better. Um, so I don't know if they can move up to that four or five seed range. Uh, last year, I think if they were healthy the entire year, they might have been like a six seed. Um, given the depth in the East, I think that that might be a little bit tough, but maybe with a small percentage odds that – their ceiling would be about the sixth seed. So uh, maybe they can get out of that play-in tournament, but I would expect them to be in there. Um, and, you know, maybe they can go into the deadline and, and add some pieces and, and raise their ceiling. But right now that's kind of how I see them. How much would you consider, like, how much would you say this coaching change makes them better? Because I know when you were on with us midseason, um, I know it's hard for you to really say too too much with the animation, but – I couldn't stand Scott Brooks. <laughs> I I was ready for him to go. His entire system drove me insane from offense to defense to just everything. I mean, just I mean, he's a nice guy. Um, I'm sure he's a great person, but it's just I couldn't stand it anymore. So, I mean, how much do you think with the addition of this depth, does that coaching maybe raise – I mean, and you said it raises their floor, but how much do you think that the coaching does that? I think it'll help particularly on the defensive end. You know, they didn't play with a ton of defensive structure. Um, It was a lot of just like switch defense. I think they're going to be more disciplined. I think they're going to have better personnel to build a defensive structure. Um, I don't know if coaching alone, though, is going to make like a major difference. I kind of fall in the school of thought where um, NBA coaching doesn't, make a huge difference in terms of wins and losses. I, I, I think it's just a matter of um, if you compare it to the other major sports um, in the U.S., there's just so little structure in the game compared to, like, particularly the NFL and Major League Baseball. In the NFL, you know, they script, coaches script where every player goes on every single play. And in baseball, you can control every little thing um, from pitching matchups to um, hit and runs to shifts. Um, to double switches. There's so many little things where the game kind of slows down and you choose the matchup. The NBA is a very free-flowing game, and I, I think you see the value in coaches in different ways, uh, more so in sort of managing egos and then also in player development. Um, I think long-term where they could be helped by this change is with player development. I really think Wes Unsell Jr. is going to be good in that area. Obviously, that was Scott Brooks's reputation when he got here. Uh, but there were certain players that I don't think got the proper opportunity uh, to really to grow. Um, Denny Avdia is someone who I think we're all interested in seeing what he can look like under a new coaching staff. Um, Rui Hachimura as well. 
Um, so I think there will be benefits long term, but I don't think it's it's going to be a situation where uh, a new head coach comes in and all of a sudden snaps their fingers and they're a contender. You know, you see that in the NFL all the time because head coaches have so much control over the result of a game. You just don't really see it in the NBA. Obviously, we saw it last year with Atlanta, with Nate McMillan taking over. Um, maybe we'll see it this year with Rick Carlisle taking over in Indiana after their failed experiment uh, with one year. But um, it, you just don't often see that in the NBA. And also, um, you have Wes Unsell Jr. coming in, and this is his first season. So there's going to be a little bit of learning on the job. I think he's going to be a really good NBA coach, um, but I just don't think it's going to be like a press a button type thing. And all of a sudden they look like a completely different team overnight. Sure. I would agree with that. I think that coaching more for me, like you said, I don't think it's about wins and losses really, but we're, you can get those, those wins. It's, It's situational basketball. And I just want a coach who's like situationally aware and at least knows how to use his personnel properly. I think that's like the two biggest things for me that I wanted to see. Um, Speaking Mm -hmm. of injuries, in terms of Bertans and Thomas Bryant. So for Bertans all offseason, fans like, oh, we want him gone. Um, I'm kind of torn in between, to be honest with you. I know he makes a decent chunk of money for a guy who's – Really only a, a, a one-dimensional player, I guess. But are we complaining about that this season where he was lights out and then we paid him that money? I mean, how many people actually really complained about that? So I'm interested in seeing him in a system where maybe he's prioritized a little bit more and hopefully Wes Unsell Jr. is um, aware enough to prioritize him and feature him when he's in the game. But what are your thoughts on Davis Bertans coming into the season, hopefully healthy and uh, more in shape? Well, first of all, I, I, I don't think he's expendable yet. I know a lot of fans, there's been questions like, well, now that you know they have Corey Kisper, now that they've got KCP and Kyle Kuzma can shoot threes and Thomas Bryant's coming back, uh, can't they now trade Davis Bertans? I don't think they're quite there yet. You know, the Wizards were pretty bad at three-point shooting last year. I mean, down the yep. stretch when they were winning games yeah. – they basically went completely away from shooting threes. They went. Uh, they basically um, did not have a modern NBA offense. So um, I, I think they have a chance to be much better shooting the three, but it's not like they're going to be some elite three-point shooting team. I, I would guess that they're going to be probably about league average, which would be a huge improvement. Um, Bradley Beal last year shot a career low percentage. Um, Davis Bertans was their best three-point shooter, but he shot below 40%. It was not the guy that we've seen in recent years. I think the hope would be that with more shooting depth, there's more daylight for guys like Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans, and maybe their percentages can go up, and it can be sort of this um, group effort and a, sort of a mutually beneficial relationship for all of them. Corey Kispert, too, he's a rookie. I think he's going to end up being of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, but I don't think it's going to happen right away. You know, I was looking up um, how successful a lot of the best uh, three-point shooters were as rookies, and over the last 10 years, only eight guys have shot 40% or higher uh, with a qualifying number of of shot attempts from three. So it it may not happen immediately. Uh, Joe Harris was the second-round pick. He was not the 15th overall pick, but he didn't really become a 40% elite three-point shooter until he was like 26. So it might take a few years. It might take a year. Um, Corey Kispert, I don't think, is going to step on an NBA floor and immediately be making you know, three or four threes a game at a 40% clip. Um, right. So they still kind of need Davis Bertans. If he proves to be expendable and extraneous and you get to the deadline and um, maybe his numbers are up, then, yeah, maybe you can deal from depth. But I don't think they're there yet. Um, and also there's also the element of you don't want to sell low on a guy. Um, you want to sell high. And I think there's more value that Davis Bertans could provide in a trade if he came back and just had a hot start to the season. And maybe with more help, he can do that. And maybe the Wizards can revisit trading Davis Bertans down the road and get more than they would get for him right now. I I totally agree, and I know Damo feels the same way. So um, I'll let you go ahead and uh, pile on that or continue on that if you want to. I know you kind of say the same thing when fans talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I think you you cannot sell low on him right now. Um, I think that's the the biggest issue. Like the way Tommy has moved uh, since he's been the head guy, like he's not 
he's not selling low on guys. Um, he, he seems to be very shrewd in how he operates. So um, I, I think at the minimum, we're going to see Davis until, uh, to, until the deadline. Um, I, I would like to see him, you know, with, with Wes here in a more structured offense and ball movement, you know, and him not being literally the only three-point shooter on the floor that it gives us some variety and then the defense is not focused just on Davis. Um, you know, you got to focus on KCP and possibly Kispert and, um, you know, Beal, of course, uh, Kuzma, some of the other shooters on the team uh, so that, you know, Bertans' looks aren't so difficult because that was the main thing I saw this year outside of him, you know, the him being in shape and whatnot. Uh, is is just the, the shots he was taking were never were rarely in rhythm or uh, easy shots, open shots. They were, you know, him just kind of heaving it up. And because, you know, he's so proficient, he can he can still shoot at a 38 percent clip. But uh, for him to be worth that 80 mil, he's going to need to shoot it 40 plus percent at a high value, um, especially given what he's given up on the other side of the ball. So. Uh, I hope with more movement and things, it can build his value back up. And, and you know, if it's a chance, we keep him great. Um, but, you know, at worst, we can move him and we can get fair value back. I definitely agree when Tommy's not going to sell low on guys. I mean, we traded a guy in Troy Brown who we probably weren't even going to extend a qualifying offer to for Daniel Gafford, who's going to be a – you would – I don't even know if you'd want to call him the starting center, but he's going to be a big part of the rotation at only 1.78 mil. Um, you know, he, he's done a lot. Of, he got Bertans for, for Aaron White, essentially nothing. You know, over right. since Tommy's been in charge, he's done deals that end up being positive for us. But, I mean, even going back to that first deal he made with the, the Lakers to acquire the three young fellas, I mean, that's that's still a plus because we knew the type of year that we were going into and he wanted to try and get some players to evaluate to see if they could be a part of what you had going on moving forward. And obviously they did it, but I don't think you can go back and say that's a bad trade. So uh, Tommy's pretty good with trades. I, I don't he's obviously not dumb. I don't think any GM is dumb, but you know what I mean? Uh, Chase, let me ask you about Thomas Bryant. Uh, I mean, it's going to be really tricky with him when he comes back. Do you think that it's a situation where they go back to the, the three center rotation sort of thing when he comes back? Do you think that he'll be the starter? I mean, just how do you see that all playing out with him? First of all, I do not expect him to be ready when the season starts. Um, he right. had his surgery to repair. Uh, obviously, it was a partially torn ACL, but it was still pretty major surgery. And that was in February. And the Wizards don't expect him, as I understand it, to be ready to begin the year. So maybe he comes back like a month or two in. And I do wonder if he's going to have his starting job waiting for him. Because Thomas Bryant obviously was missed last year. Um, when he went down with an injury, I think they never really replaced his three-point shooting. He's one of the most accurate three-point shooter, three shooters at the center position in the NBA. And obviously he's extremely efficient around the rim. He's a good offensive player. Um, he can score uh, around the rim and from three. Uh, at a pretty high level, but at the end of the day, the two defenses that he was the anchor of were historically bad, and once he went down with an injury, lost a lot offensively, but they gained a lot defensively just by playing guys like Robin Lopez and Alex Lynn and, of course, Daniel Gafford. If they're committing to defense moving forward, um, they're going to have to overcome that weakness in his game because I don't think it's going to get better um, when he's coming back from this injury when it comes to his footwork and uh, mobility and things like that. Um, so I like Thomas Bryant. I think I like him more in a backup role unless you can find a four to play alongside him who can fill in some of the gaps. He's not a great rebounder and he's not a great rim protector. Um, maybe Daniel Gafford could be that guy. I mean, I, I kind of see Gafford as more of a five, um, but because Thomas Bryant can shoot and I think Daniel Gafford I think he's going to be able to switch on to smaller players and guards more often the more he goes throughout his career. Maybe they could play together, but I think Gafford should probably be the starting five and, and Thomas Bryant come off the bench and provide some offense uh, and some shooting in that second unit. 
So since you're kind of, you brought up Gafford, and I, I, of course you have to bring him up when you talk about Thomas Bryant in the center position, but do you think that he, he can be a starting center given that, I mean, he, his motor is just, I mean, it's good when he's on the floor, but his stamina is just, it's not there. He gets tired way too quick, and you could see that even from the first couple games where he joined the team, and he was really good. I'm not saying he's not a good player or anything like that, but I just wonder, you know, can you commit right now starter-type minutes to a guy like that? Has uh, Do you know if he's been working on his conditioning and, and that sort of stuff? Because right now, I mean, I he may be the starting center on opening night, but I would almost put Trez in there just because you know at least what you're getting out of him. Yeah, Trez obviously also has some defensive issues. And, you know, he was the sixth man of the year uh, two years back, scored all those points, 18.6 points per game, uh, coming off the bench mostly. So he's pretty good in that role. Um, Daniel Gafford, yeah, I did talk to him recently, and he said he's working on his stamina, trying to improve his range as a shooter. Um, And, um, yeah, I mean, I think he also has some issues with foul trouble, so you have to consider that. Um, Yeah. So I think I would roll with Gafford and maybe have Trez and Thomas Bryant coming off the bench, um, but I, I would I, I think I'd I'd see I'd be able to make a better case for Trez to start than Thomas Bryant, um, just because of his track record, and I, I think they need to figure out what made the defense so bad when Thomas Bryant was in the middle. Was it him? Were they not giving him enough help? If they're uh, if now that they have better defensive guards, um, in theory, should that maybe overcome some of his weaknesses. Um, I don't know. They got to determine that, but obviously you got to do whatever you can not to get back to the defense that they had two years ago. Well, I, I said this to you on the last pod we were on. My biggest issue defensively was always with the guards and with the wings. It's kind of, and I know everything. sometimes it, it's hard to, it's hard to evaluate, but it was, it was everything, man. Yeah. You can't yeah, let yeah. everyone go by you, and then Thomas Bryant is at the rim by himself, and you expect him to to guard the ball handlers and also be able to play off and help the center who's going to be under the rim for an easy dunker layup. It's not fair to him. Yeah, that that that's true. I, I definitely agree with that. I thought I thought Thomas Bryant got some some unnecessary blame at times for the defense, um, especially you know at the point of attack with the guards. Like if you're letting you know D, the DJ Augustines of the league drop 30 on you that's that's going to be a problem um but you know watching gafford and even robin lopez and lynn at times play center for us with those same guards like you can't ignore that you know that they went from 27th ranked defense before gafford showed up and then the last stretch of 30 games they were top six you know, with the same guards, the same wings, well, actually with a less less wings because then he got hurt. Um, yep. You know, you can't you can't ignore that. So I, I think it was a little bit of everything. I, I, I would put Gafford probably in as the starter. And I, I think the perfect role for Thomas Bryant is the role that Bobby Porter's played for the Bucks this season, where he's just like a, a super call. energy guy off of the bench and he just destroys second units and he's a spark. But I don't because of his rebounding and because he kind of gets pushed around on the, uh, down in the paint um, with his skill set, I, I just think I think he's better suited off the bench. And then you let Gafford be that starting five rim runner, uh, you know, shot blocker. Uh, Chase, in terms of the small forward position, there's a lot of questions about how the Wizards are going to handle that as well. Uh, do you think that still be the starter when he comes back i know the the assumption right now is kcp will be the starting three which um i i think i would probably go ahead and maybe do that as well but certainly if they wanted to continue to start denny that's fine with me or even kuzma if they wanted to put kuzma at the three but how do you think that they'll handle that small forward rotation especially when you factor in now that they got those guys but also Corey kispert now who's probably going to need to play some it's a really good question. Um, I, I'm kind of leaning towards thinking that KCP would be great off the bench, um, you know, maybe playing a little bit of two, a little bit of three. Um, and then at the three, maybe uh, decided between Denny Avdi and Kyle Kuzma. And Kuzma's obviously far more accomplished, um, and he's he's still probably got some upside. Um, 
Kenny, I think it, it probably depends on what he looks like coming back um, in training camp as a shooter because so far what we've seen from him as a shooter, um, you know, it shows that there's a lot of room for growth. Um, at this point, I think I might guess um, that it's it, that it's going to be Kuzma um, just because of his track record. Um, but I could see a case for all three um, as we're kind of talking through this. Um, sure. I think I would guess Kuzma. But, you know, Denny Abdi, I, I was surprised with um, them making him a starter uh, right away last year. Obviously, he played really well in the preseason. Um, I think ultimately he leveled out and, and had about the type of rookie year that I expected him to have. You know, he was he was kind of a role player in the EuroLeague. It didn't make a whole lot of sense that he would come in and immediately be a starter and like one of the top players on an NBA team. That's just not generally how it works. Um, so he ultimately showed that, you know, he had some inexperience. He needed to improve his shooting. Um, he needed to get better at, at uh, not getting in foul trouble. So I think we're still going to see some of that learning curve this year. And if they could put Denny Avdia on the bench and in that second unit and give him more of a ball handling role, um, I think that would be the best role for him at this point. Um, let him be kind of like a point forward almost. You're not going to get that opportunity in the starting lineup, but he might be able to uh, spread his wings a little bit as a ball handler in the second unit. Yeah, that's pretty much how we've kind of viewed that as well. The only thing I would say with this past season and starting him, I mean, you kind of had to when your competition was Isak Bonga, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> uh, shout out to Isak Bonga, man. Shout out to Isak yeah. Bonga. Toronto Raptor, Isak Bonga. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, Chase, uh, b- before we get you out of here and – we got a couple questions in here just with the rotation in general. I know we just kind of answered a, a couple things here, but I mean, just how do you think that the rotation is going to play out since they have so many guys? I mean, two or three of these guys are going to be the odd men out in terms of two through four. And then when Thomas Bryant comes out, well, someone's going to be the odd man out there too. So it, it's not a bad problem to have, but someone's going to be upset that they're not playing. And I just, if you had to guess who are those guys going to be? Well, um, I think um, it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be something that obviously Wes Sunsell Jr. is going to have to sort out. Um, I think Aaron Holiday and Howell Neto and Spencer Dinwiddie they'll find a way to play all three of those guys, as we saw last year. Um, even when Ish Smith returned, they they were able to find ways to play all of them and. That was with a guy in Russell Westbrook who never wanted to leave the game. And, and now you got Spencer Dinwiddie, who it would probably be smart to not play him a full uh, amount of minutes in, in, in every game, considering he's coming back from the injury and you signed him uh, to a multi-year deal. So I think they'll figure it out that way. And I think when it comes to the wings, it's going to kind of be touch and go. I could see times where um, Denny Avdia is in the rotation, maybe sometimes where he has to take a step back. Um Kuzma and Caldwell Pope, uh, those guys are pretty established. I would guess that their roles in the rotation are going to be pretty safe. Um, but Harrell, I do wonder about because he was a defensive liability in L.A. last year. Uh, maybe when Thomas Bryant comes back, then between those two, uh, there's a little bit of a fluctuation in minutes. Um, I think Daniel Gafford's role is going to be pretty secure. He's he's a really good young player, and he gives consistent effort. Um, he's a really good rim protector. And it's just, it's infectious to watch him play. And I think the coaching staff, just like the last coaching staff, is going to love him. So I think he's probably got the safest role among those three. Um, but I think it's going to kind of evolve as the season goes. But Davis Bertans is kind of interesting because um, if he's not making shots, uh, you've got so many more options at the wing position now um, that if he comes out cold, um, you know, you don't really have the same reason as you used to to kind of wait it out and let him shoot through it. Um, you might want to just pull him and give someone else a shot. So I, I think it's the, the leash is going to be shorter for a lot of these guys than it has been in the past, no question. Um, and I think at times um, a, a collection, a, a lot of these guys in this group um, could find themselves out of the rotation. But um, I, I think it will evolve throughout the year, I guess. Yeah, as irritating as it is for fans and, and all, but I think this is going to be a year where we see multiple starting lineups again. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's uh, obviously Bradley Beal and, and Dinwiddie when he's healthy. Those roles are safe. Uh, Rui Hachimura hasn't really been threatened yet uh, for his spot. Um, I wonder if, if they will kind of uh, 
uh, if that'll happen now that there's more depth at his position. Um, but certainly, I think you're going to be you're going to see a bit of a revolving door to a degree at the three and probably at the five. Gotcha. No, well, we had a couple questions, so we'll go ahead and ask here, and then Dama, I'll let you give your thoughts on these as well. Uh, from Wizards Hive underscore uh, Chase, do you get the sense that the roster is done for now, or maybe we do some more moves? I know we already kind of touched on this, so if you don't want to answer that, we don't have to. I would guess that it's mostly done. Um, that maybe they add uh, one more player in like a small move, but I, my guess is that it's mostly done. Gotcha. And then from ProTag Problems. Uh, oh, this is actually a good question. We touched on it a little bit. Uh, how do you believe Aaron Holiday fits into the guard rotation? That is a good question. Um, I think he'll fit in is kind of a younger Howell Neto. Um, you know, it's interesting. When they signed Howell Neto last offseason, uh, Tommy Shepard in a press conference uh, said, you got to see where he ranks in defensive plus minus, adjusted plus minus. I looked it up, and obviously he was a guy who only averaged like 10 or 11 minutes a game in his previous stops, but he ranked really highly in that stat. When they traded for Aaron Holiday, who I knew that they had liked previously from um, pre-draft workouts, uh, I looked up that stat, and sure enough, he was right near the top each of the last few years. So um, the analytics show that he's a good defensive player. He's gotten to be a better shooter. Um, he's kind of like Neto. He's about the same size, um, kind of a gritty defender. So I think between the two of them, They've got two similar players, and Holiday will probably get plenty of minutes in that second unit. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe with Denwitty he can play a little bit the two because Denwitty's such a big point guard. Um, but I, I think he's going to play a, a, about the role that Neto did last year. Um, but now they have two versions of that: two guys that can defend um, in sort of a scrappy way uh, and stretch the floor a little bit with their three-point shooting. Dama, what do you think about the um, addition of Aaron Holiday and trying to find minutes when, you know, you have Neto there as well? Yeah, I mean, it's a guard league. So, I mean, the more guards you have that can kind of, you know, get into your chest at the point of attack um, and gritty defenders and can shoot it, I think the better you are off. Uh, I mean, I like Aaron Holiday. I think there's definitely a role for him on this team. Um, so I think they're going to find – like like Chase was saying, I think they're gonna find minutes for him. Um and and Neto, you know, you, you pretty much know what you're getting with him. I mean, that dude gives maximum effort. I, I said it before, like he's kinda like the, you know, Swiss Army knife, like a mini Swiss Army knife. I mean, we had him playing small forward and point guard, shooting guard, whatever they needed, he was able to do. So uh but yeah, I think all of them are gonna play. Um I, I definitely like that Aaron Holiday edition. They needed it. Do you got uh do you got anything for Chase before we go on and get out of here? Uh I would I would I would ask uh what uh, who <laughs> who's the third best players on the, player on the Wizards this this <laughs> season? Obviously Beal's number 1 and I I'm assuming you're putting Spencer Dinwiddie number 2. Right. Right. That's a good question. Um, I think I could make the case for Harold just because of how good he was uh, two years ago, but there are some question marks there. Um, Rui and Kyle Kuzma, I think there could be an argument uh, there, but I, I think I'll go with Harold. You know, I was thinking about that question like last week, and, and I, I didn't really figure um, Harold to be the, the third guy on the team, but um, looking more into their numbers and just how good that Harrell was last or last year, even um, some of his per 36 numbers, the volume numbers went down because he played a smaller role. Um, but I think he's better. He's the most accomplished of the guys that they acquired. And as long as he gets minutes, I think there's a chance that he has a really good year because um, yeah, he was a monster in LA with the Clippers two years ago, um, a borderline all-star. Um, so right now I, I would guess it's him. Um, but I do like Rui, and I, I know um, you guys are fans of Rui as well. Um, but I, I think, given what Harold did two years ago, I'd probably go with him. Got it. What do you guys think? Uh, I actually think, because uh, I kind of sort of polled it on Twitter uh, the other day, 
and a lot of people said it was kind of a mixed bag of Harold and and Rui and uh, KCP even got some votes, but I actually think it's going to be Gafford. I'm I'm that much a believer in his uh, defensive talent, and then offensively as a rim runner, um, I mean I I think he has a chance to be uh, I don't want to say Rudy Gobert level, but uh, I think he has a chance to be kind of like a, a Clint Capella type. Just I mean just wrecking ball at the paint in the paint so um yeah I, I think it has a chance to be gafford we saw the impact he made last year that's for sure yeah yeah i mean it's just i mean it was just undeniable so that, that's who i would i would go with for me it's kind of between coos and Rui, but i think i'm gonna go Rui just because of potential and you would think he would take another leap this season when you consider I mean, you think he'd get the ball more this year. I thought he there was a lot of opportunities that he should have been given last year. I thought, quite frankly, he should have been the second option in the offense all season, um, and that just didn't work out. And even as a third option, I mean, he still really didn't even get, I think, a normal amount of touches that a third option would get. And he was clearly the number three on the team and um, still didn't get those opportunities. But, but I'll go ahead and say Rui. I think his mid-range ability is uh, – very polished, very unique. We see him constantly working on his three-point shot. Um, he's getting a little bit better on the rim and on the break. Sometimes he's a little bit crazy, but I still think he's pretty good on the break as well. And then defensively, um, he's a pretty solid defensive player as well. But I would understand. I understand Harrell, and um, I would also understand Kuzma because Kuzma also, like Harrell, has also uh, had a season where he averaged basically 20 points. So I, I could see all that, but and it's hard. And this is a this is a good problem to have again when when you don't know who the third player is. Sometimes that's bad, but in this situation, I think it's good. I think it's bad when there's like a huge drop off, but in this case, it's such a get a gradual drop off, and there's just so much depth in the rotation that I would I would agree that it's a good problem to have. All right, I think that's going to go ahead and do it for us here today. But Chase, thanks for coming on and talking with us. We really appreciate it. I know it's been a, a really busy off season and summer for you. So definitely appreciate you taking the time to come on and chat with us today. Absolutely, guys. Uh, let's definitely do it again someday. All right, absolutely. Uh, thanks again to Chase for coming on. Also, if you guys haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Leave us a five-star review or uh, leave us a comment. Actually, someone from our last podcast said leave us a comment, um, and it was very nice, so so thank you for doing that. Uh, but thank you guys for listening once again, and we'll see you next time.